This is KCLR's Bottom Line with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice. www.onf.ie Hello, good morning and welcome to The Bottom Line, the programme for and about business. I'm John Purcell with you until 10 o'clock here on KCLR. Thanks to John Walsh for the last two hours. And it's good news all around as the lockdown has been put on a fast track. So while still being careful and observing all the rules, business can start to get back to normal. Between now and 10 o'clock, we've got an interesting array of guests lined up for you. The chief executives of both Carlo and Kilkenny Chambers of Commerce will be joining us to talk about the state of business in this area as we move into the next phase of the relaxation of those measures I mentioned. Fergus Doyle, a local member of the SME Recovery Ireland Group, whose chair John Moran joined us on the programme a few weeks back, will be updating us on progress. <coughs> Excuse me, progress on the campaign. Tax specialist Grace Fields will be joining us to talk about the tax implications of passing on a business. And Peter Hennebury, Director of Maxim Engineering, a supplier of automation and capital equipment to motor, aerospace, medical and electronic industries, to mention just a few, will be talking to us about doing business in China and using his company's technical expertise to make the return to work in this COVID era safe. And we'll be hearing about Kilkenny County Library and all their business books. But first joining me on the line is Jim Power, economist, a regular uh, contributor to the bottom line. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, John. How are you doing? Good, thanks. And we're starting uh, to crawl from the wreckage of the economy, I suppose. It's been unprecedented. Uh, Game on now for many businesses. Yes, it is. Um, I felt yesterday was the first day of hope we've seen in the last three months at least. you know, bring, bringing forward, accelerating the whole reopening of the economy um, is good news. There's no doubt about that. Uh, obviously, the challenges are immense. Um, I heard your contributor on the news there from the Ormond Hotel talking about, um, you know, still not being clear about what sort of uh, arrangements will be put in place for opening up. But um, at least this is a starting point, And uh, hopefully over the next week, clear guidelines will be given. Um, but I think it's, it's important to recognise that once a business reopens, that doesn't mean that the end of the problem, the problems end there, because, you know, it's, it's going to be a challenging environment for the, the coming months. There's no doubt about that. Um, social distancing, particularly in restaurants with the two-metre rule, if that remains in place, you know, will make it very, very difficult for restaurants to um, make any money. Um, in fact, you know, viability will be seriously questioned in that sort of regard. Um, and I suspect if the health statistics um, proceed okay over the coming weeks, um, perhaps that will be revisited. Uh, but at least we're at this stage now where there is a semblance of normality starting to recover, to re- return to the business world, and I suppose most importantly to our lives. Um, it, it's kind of interesting, I think, to, uh, you know, when you look at the collapse in everything, activity around the world that happened, you know, how quickly things start to come back. Uh, yesterday in the United States, the monthly employment report was published. Um, in April, there was a decline, I think, of about 26 million in employment, the largest decline ever seen. Yesterday, there was an expectation for May 
that there would be another decline of about 7.5 million. And in the event, there was an increase of 2.5 million. Something, so, odd, something odd there, Jim, though. That's a swing of 9 million on a, on a yeah. forecast. Somebody's got it very wrong somewhere. Yeah, somebody got it. It's dramatic. Um, there's two things I'd say about one. Two and a half million increase was the largest ever monthly increase in employment records in the United States. Um, and the, there was never a sort of a gap of 10 billion between the outturn and what was forecast. But it, it just shows you um, we really haven't a clue about what's going on out there in economies at the moment, you know, given all of the businesses that have shut down. Uh, some businesses have been operating sort of partial um, businesses through takeaway and stuff like that. So it, it wasn't at all clear um, what's, what, obviously what sort of employment was being re-engaged. But, you know, the good news is that once you reopen, you know, things start to return to normal. It will take a while, but bloody hell, it's a hell of a lot better than where we were um, two or three months ago, you know, in the depths of the lockdown. Yeah, now so, I, I spoke about crawling from the wreckage, which is kind of negative um characterization it has undoubtedly been difficult you're in touch with a wide range of business sectors uh you know from recruitment to you know different sectors of the economy from your point of view how what's the sentiment out there from business leaders and people running businesses well it's 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 interesting um every tuesday the department of employment and social protection publishes the details of the people who are on the various COVID-related unemployment benefits. Okay, and the Revenue Commission obviously um, is run some of the schemes for employers. But on the COVID-19 unemployment benefits, um, last, beginning of last week, there was 543,200 workers receiving that, okay? And if you look at the breakdown by sector, it tells you exactly where the pain has been felt. Um, in the accommodation and food services sector, 122,200. That's 23% of the total. Um, next is wholesale and retail. That's the non-grocery retailers, basically. Um, almost 81,000, 15% of the total. And then construction, 60,800. So... Um, those, those are the three sectors that really, really took the hit here. Construction, I wouldn't be terribly worried about because the demand for construction output, particularly housing, um, is going to be very strong over the next few years. So they will be re-employed. But it's, it's the retail sector and accommodation and food services, two sectors that are incredibly important for the Kilkenny economy. You know, that's where the real uncertainty lies. Elsewhere, and, and you know, talking to people and owners in those sectors, accommodation, food services, etc., and in the retail sector, um, there is definitely a huge, huge element of uncertainty and huge pain being felt at the moment. But then, if you go across through most of the rest of the economy, actually, you know, it's okay. Businesses are operating, albeit workforces are doing it from home, but financial services companies, etc., they are all still functioning. And I think that was demonstrated this week as well with the um, exchequer returns to the end of May. Um, okay, there was a surge in corporation tax receipts, but that's down to a few, a small number of multinationals. And the multinational sector here, chemical pharma, the whole social media stuff has been doing really well, and that's good for Ireland. 
So far, um, but but sorry, I'll just I'll just finish the point. I think it's important, John, if I may. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on the income tax side, actually, income tax is holding up pretty well, despite the fact there is. Uh, 1.27 million people on unemployment benefit and the reason for that is that you know a lot of the workers in wholesale retail accommodation food services would be on relatively low salaries would not pay a lot of income tax anyway whereas um, a lot of the workers that have been unaffected basically by this apart from having to work from home um, they're still earning normal money they're mm. still paying their normal tax so that that just shows you that you know the structure of our economy hasn't been destroyed we will rebuild it so that's a very good note but uh, finally jim um you mentioned retail and hospitality uh, you know those are hanging in the balance really and those depend on the support of people and people can actually walk down their street and support local uh, and dine in local restaurants when they do emerge, all, albeit in, in socially distanced ways. So the support of the community is very important. Yeah, back in, um, after 9-11, um, when New York was devastated, uh, there was two things could have happened at that stage. New Yorkers could have, you know, stayed at home for months in fear and trepidation, or get out there and spend. And George W. Bush, the president at the time, and he got criticised for it at the time, he was telling people, get out there, spend, support your local businesses, support your local restaurants, shops, etc. And they did. Um, I think we need to adopt a similar attitude this time, at this stage. I think it's vital that we all get out there, we all support our local businesses as much as we can. Obviously, uh, you know, within safe, healthy pro- health protocols, etc. But I think it's essential that we go out and support our local businesses for two reasons. One is, you know, if those businesses are gone, they're gone and they will deplete our high streets. Secondly, if we want to re-employ the 1.2 million people on unemployment benefit, we will need to get those businesses up and running as quickly as possible. So I think there is definitely an element of wearing the green flag here, go out, support your local businesses, because ultimately it's, you know, by doing that, Kilkenny will be, you know, will return to its former glory, for example, you know, once we get back to some level of normality. So, um, yes, and and a lot of people uh, still have, you know, money. Yeah. And, and one thing we are seeing definitely is that there's been a surge in personal savings over the last three months. Uh, central bank data showing us that basically because people don't know, they, sorry, they can't spend yeah. because business have been shut down. So that money will come back into the economy. So, you know, I'd be provided the virus um, behaves itself over the next 12 months and we don't get secondary um, outbreaks and so on. Um, I'd be quite optimistic that in the next 12, 18 months, we will steadily get our economy back into shape again. But... Um, it is up to all of us, as, as you've said there, to go out there, support your local businesses um, and get them back or help them get them back on track as quickly as possible. OK, Jim, we have to leave it there. It's great to finish on a positive note and urging people uh, to get out there and support local business. That's Jim Power, economist. Thank you, Jim, for joining us this You're morning. Welcome, uh, now, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to uh, John Mourne, who's chair of a new business group called SME Recovery, and we said we'd get an update. Joining me on the line is Fergus Doyle, who's a local businessman. Fergus, how are you this morning? 
Yeah, not too bad, John. Thanks how, for having how, me. How's the response to uh, your campaign? You're looking for a massive sort of Marshall plan to support local business. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, the senior team are in talking with Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil to try to get this $15 billion, uh, recovery plan and it's part of the uh, program for government. So that's kind of going at the central level. In the regions, you know, we just had our weekly update Zoom call yesterday. Um, Jim is quite optimistic there. I'd have a slightly different version of the reality on the ground. And the, you know, the reason this morning to talk to you is, is that folks who are listening to this today, most of them are either business owners or people who employ folks attached to small business. And um, it's, you know, our business on the ground is involved in restructuring a lot of businesses. And, and there's bills didn't go away, I suppose, um, in the in the shutdown period, and they got, they've got to pay somebody at some point. So we, locally, we're really looking for people to engage with the SME Recovery uh, Plan. It's on smerecovery.ie. Sign the petition there just to, to show support, both employers and employees. And you've been talking to local politicians or started to talk to, talk to local politicians. How are they receiving the message from uh, this SME recovery group? Yeah, look, yeah, this week has been a big drive. I spoke to uh, three um, politicians. I spoke to John McGuinness, Jennifer Manane O'Connor and John Paul Phelan. And to be fair to them all, they were very positive around it because they understand SMEs are part of the social fabric uh, in in you know, I won't say rural Ireland, but down the country, as it were. And um, they took, you know, they took what I was saying very seriously. They, too, see this huge gap in cash liquidity, if you like, that SMEs need to restart. So if the doors open on Monday more and we really, we relax those measures, which are all great and welcome, it doesn't necessarily mean that the businesses will kickstart. Yeah. And a lot of these businesses are funding um, funding through what Jim was saying there, the the unemployment benefits that are that are out for the COVID nineteen. So um, you're you're looking for political support, but you're also looking for support from businesses and from people working in businesses. What can they do to support you? Yeah, look in, in very very simple ways. They can go on to the the website smerecovery.ie. There's a petition to be signed there that would show great support. Engage our local politicians as well, you know, councillors uh, and indeed the TDs, if you can get to them, and then just generally spread the word um, that there is, I'm not a doom and gloomer here, but there is a very stark reality here as, as the smaller businesses, so 10 people or less start up the working capital requirements to kick a business 5, 10, 15 or 20 grand on the low end just to get the thing rolling again. These guys don't have access to large sums of money, and, and if we, you know, the what would be terrible, John, is in quarter four this year, if folks just went, geez, what just happened here? Um, if we can get put our shoulder to the wheel now, show support, raise the profile, it affects us all. You know, we all don't work for multinationals. Uh, we, most of us work for, for SMEs, and there's a quarter million SMEs in the country. And, and at the employee level, right up to the owner, if they can get their shoulder to the wheel here, um, you know, generate a bit of momentum locally that this is a challenge and we've weeks to get us in the programme for government. It's not, uh, we don't have months to do this. Okay, Fergus, we've got to leave it there. That's Fergus Doyle. Uh, his own business is the business Troubleshooters, but he's part of an organisation called SME Recovery, and he's telling us about their campaign, which is ongoing at the moment. Coming up, we'll be talking about stamp duty. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, the Southeast's largest independent accountancy practice, www.onf.ie.
In social media, when it comes to communicating and engaging with your customers, you need the right mix. Think of it as a cake. Too much of one ingredient, you might end up with a soggy bottom. Not enough of the other, it'll flop. But add just the right amount and it'll rise to perfection. At KCLOR, we understand that as a small business owner, you just don't have time to manage social media. For one thing, it's hard enough to know which one to use. So that's where we come in. We can work with you to manage and maintain your social media across all platforms, meaning you can save time, build your brand and stay connected while we get on with it. KCLOR, keeping it social. Email sales at kclor96fm.com. KCLOR indeed, uh, 23 and a half minutes after nine o'clock. You're listening to John Purcell on the bottom line. We're with you until 10 o'clock. Lots more people to talk to. But uh, before we go any further, we're going to talk about stamp duty and so on. Because over the last number of weeks, we've come across a number of businesses where the enforced COVID close down has caused people to take stock and start planning for a time when they'd like to pass on their business to the next generation or another family member. And I thought it'd be an interesting topic for us to discuss on the programme. So earlier this week, I spoke with Grace Fields, who's a tax specialist with O'Neill Foley Accountants, uh, and I asked her a range of questions, uh, being completely at sea about all this kind of stuff. Um, I put it to Grace that it's a very complex issue transferring a business and something that people need to get right and plan for well in advance. That's right, John, because there are a lot of different taxes at stake, so it is really important that um, people come and they get the right advice and done done on a timely basis as you said because there are huge tax savings to be gained by qualifying for the reliefs so um, there, there are a lot of I suppose the positive for your listeners is, is that assets can be transferred over in, in a tax efficient manner but it's important to look at the reliefs and to make sure that um, you know that everyone they, they satisfy all, all the conditions so that it's, it's done in as low of a tax cost as possible. And stamp duty is a big issue. Uh, can you tell Tell us a bit about the, the kind of the backstory of stamp duty. Yes, so, so st- uh, stamp duty is, is one of those interesting taxes, John, where um, I think a lot of our listeners w- would be very familiar with it. And it's actually a very, very old tax. It's, it's a tax on written documents. So um, the origins are tracked back as far as 1604 in, in Venice. And um, so, so literally, it was said uh, the documents actually had to be they were had to be presented for stamping. And you know those um, when the, the physical documents they had had the actual stamp on it. And I'm sure many listeners will will recall kind of old deeds and that that they'd, they'd have at home and kind of the back of the wardrobe or, or whatever. And they actually have to have the physical stamp on it. So it's been been around a long time. It is um, one of those taxes that um, say for for a few years there, say the tax for um, non-residential properties was quite low it was two percent but it has really come to the forefront again in the last few years with um the budget back in october 2017 when it shot up overnight to six percent from a quite from low 2%, rate percent yes so it just became a huge part of, of the transaction and, and a huge uh, consideration for people when transferring an asset uh, at two percent people you know will often would, would took the hit whereas now at six percent um it, it has has become a, a very important uh, part 
of the decision making in, in whether to transfer an asset and it actually went up as, as it's now gone up to seven and a half percent John so it, it can be a huge cost for somebody on, on a transfer. And what are the what's the intelligent people who watch these things is it is it going to stay at seven percent or presumably in the current uh, financial environment there is a threat that the government will raise this the government is saying there won't be an increase in income tax but presumably stamp duty would be something to watch. You are right there, Janet. It looks like, um, although you know we don't know for definite, the rumour mills are that it, it will increase up to 9%. Um, so hopefully it, it, it won't, because at 7.5% it's already a, a huge cost. So, um, but the rumour mill is, is, is 9%. So we're, I suppose we're, it's a lot of our work in um, O'Neill Foley would be that we help people transfer assets in a tax efficient manner. So one of the, say a, an important part of our job would be um, the transfer of farms. I, at the moment, I'm advising several farmers on, on passing their, their farms over to their children and how to do that um, and minimise stamp duty. And loads of different types of businesses, such as factories, shops, consultancy businesses. But let's stick with the farms uh, for a moment. What should people watch out for in relation to transfer, transferring farms and transferring land in general, I suppose? Mm. Well, as if, if a relief doesn't apply, you're looking at 7.5% stamp duty. So I suppose if you've got a farm worth a million and if there isn't an available relief, you're t- looking at a cost of 75,000, which is a significant cost. If a you're cash cost. Absolutely. So um, there are reliefs available which, you know, which, which is, which are hugely advantageous. Uh, the main one that a lot of people will, will be familiar with would be young trained farmers. So if they've got a child under 35, there's other conditions, you know, but, but mainly that they would have a green cert or a similar agricultural qualification, that that transaction is exempt. So that, that's a huge advantage for people. So it's an and that's under 35. Under 35. But um, that, that, that relief is in place until December 2021. So, so that's that our understanding is that, that it's, um, we're hoping that it will continue after 2021, but we don't have any confirmation. But a, re- a relief that's really important for anybody over 35 is from stamp duty's consanguinity relief. So it's a transfer between blood relatives. And again, certain conditions must be satisfied. But um, that would um, result in a rate of stamp duty of 1%, John. So there's a significant saving there of 6.5% on the transaction. But just to highlight to your listeners out there who, who may be thinking about transferring farmland, that this relief is actually due to expire on the 31st of December 2020. This year, yes. six months. And the, the rumour mill is that it won't be extended. So um, we don't have any confirmation, obviously, in, in, in relation to that. But if somebody is looking at a transfer to a child and the child is over 35, I think the prudent thing would, would be to transfer it before the end of the year, just just in case. So just to clarify, if people want to transfer the land, it doesn't cost to transfer the land, apart from the legals, presumably. But they, they could, on a farm of half a million, say, they will be paying... 35,000 and that's cash they need to come up with. Correct, that, that's right because there are other exposures to tax such as capital gains tax and capital acquisitions tax and again as you said at the start of the show by becoming to us in a timely manner we can look at, at maximising all the tax advantages that are out there and, and, and qualifying for the reliefs 
um, but stamp duty is, is the huge exposure and in particular just with the, with the rumour that consanguinity relief won't be extended past the end of the year, it's just an important factor for people in, in deciding whether this is the right time to transfer a farm. So just say like uh, other forms of business like factories or shops or, yeah. or a consultancy company or even a, an accountancy company, what, what are the applicable taxes in relation to transferring there? So there would be a number of taxes. So um, just getting back to stamp duty, if, if there's a company that's incorporated, it will be a 1% cost on the transfer of shares unless they have a very valuable property that wasn't purchased for trading purposes. But otherwise, you're looking at 7.5% stamp duty on goodwill, um, like a shopper or something like that. But then there are other taxes that, um, like capital gains tax, where there are very valuable reliefs, such as retirement relief, um, capital acquisitions tax, which is gift tax, and um, there are there is relief like business relief and agricultural relief. So, so there are very positive reliefs within Irish tax law, but it's just important that, that people come and get advice before they actually transfer the asset because there, there can be a huge saving to, to be made by, by doing it correctly and tax efficiently. And in your experience, do people tend to do that? Are people careful about that? Or would you come across people that you'd say, God, if you come to me before you'd done that, I could have actually helped you a bit more. Is that a common uh, error that people make? Um, you would actually be surprised, John, that a lot of people actually put a lot of thought into passing over assets and estate planning as well. So a big part of my role with O'Neill Foley would be advising people on their, their wealth management and passing it over to the next generation. So most people, and I suppose in particular clients, ongoing clients of the office, you know, say tr traditionally when, when we're preparing their accounts and that, we would keep them up to date on, on key tax developments as well. So they would come to us just knowing that uh, they're, they're planning on transferring it maybe six months down the line or 12 months down the line and, and getting the right advice in, in place. But people are people and of course that there are people who kind of want to rush something through or they might come to us after, you know, they, they've decided to do so. So it's important they meet us at, at the right time so we can set everything up correctly for them. Yeah, you mentioned about goodwill in relation to say a shop or, or, yeah. or so on. Presumably that's based on, on historical performance and we're in actually unprecedented times. Um, what about valuations in respect of that? I mean, is there any flexibility? I mean, a, a, a business may have had 10 years of great mm. trading in the past, but the future is not going to be the last 10 years based on what we know about COVID at the moment. What, what kind of flexibility is there in relation to that in the system? Well, I think that there's, there's a very strong case to be made that uh, that goodwill may have to be revalued if appropriate depending on the business that uh, the individual has yes and I think that um, revenue have actually been extremely supportive of um, you know businesses in the the, the, the current um, difficult times that, that, that we all and, and strange times that we all find ourselves in and they've, they've introduced quite a lot of positive measures for businesses such as in relation to like if, they, if they don't, they're not in a position to pay their VAT that they, they'll actually defer that. So revenue have been positive and I think that um, it would just be important to, to use your account and to get a, the correct valuation say for things like goodwill that a client can stand over then. 
So um, a lot of uh, a lot of issues there. People need to bring themselves up to date. You have some resources available to uh, people who want to kind of gen themselves up on the issues before they may come to see you. Tell us about that. That's right, John. Um, we've recently issued um, a booklet in, in the tax department on the tax implications on the transfer of an asset. So it would be a really useful guide, as was the, the first, the starting point for any of your listeners out there today who are thinking of transferring over a business, but also even if anybody's interested and transferring a site to a child or shares, you know, passing, you know, their assets over to the next generation. So it would be a really helpful guide for, for people who, who, are, who are interested in doing so. Grace Field there from O'Neill Foley and if you'd like a copy of that guide you can uh, send an email to tax at onf.ie. Now we've got a text in from a listener, uh, didn't get it while uh, Jim uh, Power was online but he just said or she, hi do you think that a stimulus should be given to households to spend to support businesses as a lot of people have no money and a lot of countries have done this and that's something I know Jim was involved with with Retail Excellence Ireland which uh, recommended that a gift card worth 500 euros would be given to each household in the country to spend in bricks and mortar stores in their local area and that that uh, spending would be time limited. Uh, that proposal has been put to government. There would be a cost, uh, Retail Excellence Ireland and Jim Power estimate, of about €850 million euros to that initiative. So I hope that answers your text uh, or your question, text or thanks for getting in touch. You can text us on the Darren Hayes Motors text line 83 306 9696. Now, last week we heard from uh, Carlo Library about the services uh, that they provide to business, and this week Magella Byrne, who's a library staff officer with Kilkenny County Library, uh, is going to tell us about Kilkenny County Library services to business. The Work Matter service through the library has been designed to support people getting back to work and business related tasks. Work Matters is a national programme supporting job seekers, career changes and business startups. In the current climate, we've had to change the way we support the Work Matters programme and hence people and business too. This means moving to online services and programmes. To start, you can join the library free of charge on our website kilkennylibrary.ie and log in to any of our online services. Whether it's a chance to go down a new career path and upskill, or just keeping up to date on the current crisis and where to access relevant information, Kilkenny Library Service will steer you in the right direction. BorrowBox is our online service that gives you access to thousands of free ebooks and audiobooks. On BorrowBox, there is a dedicated business section. Here you will find books on management, mentoring, CV writing, and leadership skills, to mention just a few. Universal Class is another of our online services where you can participate in online courses and there are many to choose from. Interview skills, product management and human resource management to ICT and business skills. There are over 500 courses to choose from. Don't forget about your local enterprise office. This is a very important point of contact in these times. They are there to help your business deal with the impact of COVID-19 in very practical ways. They have moved their training programs and workshops online, covering areas such as cash management in a crisis, leading your business through COVID-19 and advice for employers impacted by the crisis. Training programs are free of charge and places can be booked online through your local enterprise office. Solus, the state agency who manage a range of further education and training programmes, have opened up access to their e-college and courses. These are temporarily being made available free of charge as an additional support to those impacted by COVID. 
Courses may benefit those already doing a further education training course who would like to enhance their learning, those who have recently become unemployed or have had their hours reduced and those wishing to upskill and reskill in digital ICT and business skills. Those are just some of the services available to people and business affected at this time through your local library and other avenues. Cont contact us on info at ilkennylibrary.ie if you need any more information. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you in association with O'Neill Foley Accountants. Our website, onf.ie, shows the full range of services we provide to businesses large and small. The heart of it all. John Purcell with you on the bottom line until 10 o'clock. It's just 20 minutes away from 10 o'clock. And joining me on the line are Brian, Brian O'Farrell, who's Chief Executive of Carlow Chamber, and John Hurley, Chief Executive of Kilkenny Chamber. You're very welcome, gentlemen. Um, a, a significant step forward positive vibes about the loosening of all the restrictions. How are businesses feeling as we look to enter phase two? Brian, I'll start with you. Um, I think there's uh, a lot of them are very excited um, that the changes have been made and looking forward to it. Um, the one thing I will say is, you know, for customers, they shouldn't expect to be able to walk down the high street and see every single door open on Monday, because I know some businesses are still want to work towards um, I was talking to a few yesterday that have plans for induction for staff and training staff but they're really delighted to be this step has been taken and that they are um, moving forward and to get back to serving customers and taking care of the people in the area. John a good point that uh, there are back to work protocols to be uh, taken into account and people have to reorganise their businesses, queuing systems and so on um, a lot of work Kikenny getting a one way system at the end of the month, how, how are things among the businesses in Kikenny in your view? Yeah as, as Brian said I'd repeat it, uh, excitement is, is palpable in the air but there is some unease and fear as well both amongst the businesses and amongst the customers in terms of the unknown we don't know exactly how it's going to work out uh, but definitely uh, in Kilkenny, from talking to um, shopkeepers, uh, there will be a large, large, the vast majority, in fact, of shops are expected to be open on Monday. They might have slightly uh, shorter opening hours and so on uh, and, uh, you know, see how it goes. Uh, but definitely they'll all be open and they'll be doing it in the social distancing approved manner. So they'll be wearing face masks and visors. Uh, there'll be ongoing surface cleaning and they'll be queuing uh, things as well. So we all have our own part to play there. But the key thing I would pick up from Jim Powers' piece earlier on is uh, we all need now to support them. You know, get out there and get shopping in a sensible and reasonable way, but just make it uh, a focus uh, that we want to support local. And that vouchers idea, I mean, the Kilkenny gift voucher and Carlo has versions of Carlo gift vouchers as well, are an ideal way to help that as well. So if there are people out there wanting to give someone a gift for birthdays or whatever, think of your local uh, gift voucher program operated by your local Chamber of Commerce as well, because that'll tick all the boxes for you. And Brian, a lot of people, um, you know, trying to support restaurants uh, in particular, I suppose, by buying vouchers. It's a good way of supporting um, businesses. That that message is more important than ever, really. It is. And, you know, businesses do need the support um, in a number of ways. And, you know, it's like John was saying, yeah, the gift voucher, I suppose it's, it's a very strong uh, item to use because of the fact it's quite flexible and is well backed up as well. So you know that it is going to be there in the longer term. Um, with the restaurants, you know, we look forward to getting a lot of them open in about three weeks' time. And I, I know a lot of them are trying to uh, accommodate there now, even in the short term. 
You know, Kilkenny had some issues this week with tables and chairs outside. Um, Carlo, uh, at the moment, they were, uh, had a planning phase open where people could submit requests to planning for to put tables and chairs outside. So we haven't had too much in the way of that yet. But we do need to look at um, individually our own behaviours as consumers when we go out and, you know, being able to support the businesses through this period in a number of ways like that. John, um, a lot of the attract, a lot of the attraction for Kilkenny is the small, narrow streets, and you know, as as Brian mentioned, tables outside and so on, and and you know the kind of hustle and bustle that has to be managed very carefully now. And as you said, it, it's a big challenge. How are you feeling about that? Yeah, I mean, there is that uncertainty. We're not sure how exactly it's going to work because one of the attractive things about Kilkenny is the quaintness of many of the streets and, and laneways and so on. Uh, but we need to maintain, you know, where we can and in ways that we can. And everybody is in this together. Uh, so let's work together on it, the, the two-metre distancing piece. Um, chambers are constantly watching that, you know, with a view to uh, seeing, you know, does it is it appropriate to, to ease that off? And I know government is looking at that. We're in touch with them on a regular basis. Um, and then in, in addition to that, like in Kilkenny, what we're doing is um, introducing the one-way system in recognition of the fact that there will be queues, that there will be narrow streets, narrow footpaths, and therefore we need to widen those spaces so there isn't room for as much roadway on some of the streets as we used to have. Hence the idea of uh, uh, widening the footpaths, taking over a bit more of the roadway as a footpath, and uh, that then results in a narrower um, roadway, which means you know we'll have to try out the one-way system. Nobody knows how it's going to work, but let's work on it together and see if we can make it work for everybody. That's the whole idea. Yeah, we've mentioned it earlier on in the programme about the unprecedented shock to business, about the huge amount of support that's been. Um, I spoke spoke to Fergus Doyle uh, earlier on from SME Recovery um, about the need for more work. You guys are, are in constant contact with uh, Pascal Donoghue. Um, I, I understand you have a kind of a regular catch-up call with him through Chambers uh, Ireland. What's he saying about what lies ahead for business? Brian? Well, we've been speaking to a number of ministers indeed. Yesterday morning we spoke to Pascal just in advance of the Cabinet meeting. Um, you know, they acknowledge that there is there's a lot of challenges out there and it's through working together we're going to do it. Um, we were pushing on them that a lot of the supports that have come out to date, they need to be rejigged, re-looked at to make them more accessible across all the businesses. And um, I know we're still waiting on details on the rates waiver. Uh, some of the supports don't uh, support the businesses that have been most affected. And that's what we need to see changed as well, because everybody needs to be able to get a share of it and to be able to help everybody to get back to full operation. John, um, some businesses fallen outside some of the supports. Uh, Brian is suggesting there. What, what are your What's your angle on that? Yeah, I mean, all of the supports that have come out, whether it is the temporary wage subsidy scheme or the, the restart grant and so on and so forth, they have criteria. So you only qualify for it, your business only qualifies if you match those criteria. Uh, and all of these um, supports and, and uh, schemes have come out relatively quickly with relatively little time for the government to plan them. So they don't include all of the businesses and people that they should be including. And it's only when we see them issuing the criteria that we can then see where the, the gaps are. So chambers, people often wonder what do chambers of commerce do, uh, apart from the obvious stuff that we do locally, events and so on and so forth. We're a huge lobby the biggest 
single lob- lobbying uh, network in the country. Uh, and that's where, as Brian has said, we've had regular, we have weekly meetings uh, every week since um, the start of the COVID crisis uh, with uh, government departments, lobbying on those things and pointing out to the government where the temporary wage subsidy scheme needs to be readjusted, uh, the restart grant and so on. And that work is ongoing. And we did, Minister Pascal Donoghue did acknowledge yesterday that, look, he knows it's not exactly right and they're continuing to look at it uh, on foot of the feedback we've been giving them uh, with a view to widening the criteria in a way that uh, the people and the businesses that need the support will actually get it. Brian, um, I might be putting you on the spot, but what's your number one ask at the moment from Chambers? Number one ask from Chambers? Um, I suppose it's to continue to support um, your local businesses. Um, you know, it's never been more... We always talk about it through the snow and all the different uh, situations we've had. Shopping support local is key, but you've also got to remember, especially nowadays, when you're online, be local online. And and that is key, you know, whether it's tuning into your local radio, shopping in your local supermarket, that is the key thing. Get out there and support your local business. And just even talk to them and ask them, you know, what is the best way? We've been carrying out a survey of consumer sentiment in Carlow. It just closed yesterday. And it's very interesting to see that there's a strong focus. People are saying that uh, spending locally on products and services they would uh, expect to increase. Excellent. Um, and, uh, and it's great to see that coming in. And, you know, there's a lot more details in it that I'm working down through at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, and it's looking at online. It looks at a lot of different factors. But it's great to see the positivity and the focus that people seem to have towards getting out there and supporting the local businesses. Okay, well, we have to leave it there. Thanks very much to Brian O'Farrell from Carlow Chamber and John Hurley from Kilkenny Chamber of Commerce. Coming up, we're going to be talking about using technology to protect your business in the COVID era. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast. It's been a difficult time for all of us, for businesses and for our frontline workers. But Carlo and Kilkenny have pulled together, stayed safe, stayed home and flattened the curve. Now as we open up businesses and restart the local economy, KCLOR is here to support Carlo and Kilkenny. If you're opening up your business, we're here to help. Email us, reopen at kclor96fm.com. If you're wondering what businesses are open, we've got regular updates on kclor96fm.com. So remember, stay local, stay safe, stay with KCLOR. Local at heart. Local at heart indeed and the message coming across loud and clear not from me uh, alone but from your local chambers from Jim Power and everyone is to support local. Um, I'm joined on the line by a local Kilkenny man uh, who has spent many of his formative years in Carlow Peter Hennebury who's uh, owner of Maxim Engineering um, who are a company operating in the automotive energy, aerospace, medical and consumer sectors supplying a range of really high tech equipment in the automation, x-ray, inspection, measurement and cleaning uh, sectors. I know Peter well. Um, He travels a lot to China. Peter, uh, you've done a lot of business in China um, and that's really the industrial powerhouse of the world. Am I right? 
You're right, John. Good morning to you. Hope you're keeping well and all your listeners are keeping well these times. Um, yeah, China is, uh, I suppose we call it the, 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 the shop of the world, the supermarkets. That's where everything's, uh, not everything, but uh, certainly in the world of technology. Um, you know, I was just noting I'm on a laptop this morning that was built in China. My watch was made in China. The earphones were made in China. The phone, indeed, was made by Foxconn in uh, Shenzhen. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Tell us about Maxim Engineering before we talk about COVID. What kind of business are you in and what do you do? Well, basically our customers build predominantly, they supply people like BMW and Mercedes and Toyota and Ford and all these, and, 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 uh, and Rover and all these, these automotive manufacturers. With, with, we supply the companies that build for those guys, all of the electronics that goes into your car, the steering wheel sensors, the, uh, the, 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 the door sensors, every sensor, every piece of electronics that's hidden in your car is manufactured by, some of, some of them are manufactured here in, in Ireland predominantly uh, by four or five of huge customers that we have here, uh, automotive contract manufacturers. And they supply the BMWs and the Mercedes of this world with their electronic parts. Mm. And what's interesting is the whole China piece in it, and people may be wondering why I'm talking about China, but they have a yes. crucial part to play in the whole global supply chain. We hear a lot about the supply chain. What's your perspective on that? Well, my perspective, I mean, the, the global supply chain, China is, 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 a, is a huge cog in this thing. And I think even from a global point of view, you know, there are signals emitting from, from, from the United States in terms of compromising that and sourcing elsewhere and bringing the product home. Uh, I'm telling you, John, for some years to come, if not many, well, many, many years to come, China will be the shop. That's where it's going to come out of the, the, the global supply. The supply chain, even to China, is uh, extremely uh, steady. Uh, it, it, it changes very little. It has built-in efficiencies, and uh, it's not going to change, regardless of what uh, uh, the other guy in the White House says. Yeah, getting stuff from China over to here, and we've heard a lot about it, particularly in PPE equipment and so on, is very complex and comes down to nuts and bolts of availability of containers yeah. and where ships are and all that sort of stuff. Where's that at at the moment? Well, I mean, John, our own government uh, jumped on it very, very quickly, and there was a highly publicised uh, situation with Bono and U2 pitched in 10 million, and they got in contact with an Irish guy who leases aircraft, who got in contact with a guy in my industry, Liam Casey from PC H International, a guy I met 20 years ago in China, and a fascinating guy. But they collaborated. Uh, and indeed with the Chinese uh, uh, embassy here, and, uh, and began to fly, literally, pack passenger planes full of PPE. Uh, now, to this day, uh, the government, I think there's at least two flights leaving Dublin Airport for Peking, uh, or Beijing, I beg your pardon, Beijing, and, uh, and, and two, so there's two out, two back. Two and out, how are Ireland connected Sorry. out there? I know you, you, you're out there quite regularly yeah. before the advent yeah. of Zoom, but how are Irish people regarded and connected out there in terms of getting stuff back to Ireland? I think very, very well, John. I mean, a lot of us were out there in the very early noughties. Uh, the guy Liam Casey referred to would have been there from the mid-90s. Uh, I, I was in China. I was in Taiwan myself in the very, very early 90s as well. Um, and you know what? Because we have a lot of FDI, foreign direct investment in here, in particular from somebody like Apple, when they used to make uh, hardware down in Cork, 
there were huge links. There was a lot of very, very good people um, basically cast their eyes over to China, went out in the early days. So we do have a lot of roots and excellent connections out in China, absolutely. And so just moving on to the whole area of COVID and so on, your, your company has pivoted to an extent in relation to mm-hmm. that. You're involved now in temperature sen- sensors, room sanitizers and so on. Room sanitizers for, for the hospitality industry. Tell us about that. Well, John, just just looking at the pivot, what we did was we looked inwardly at our existing suppliers. We have suppliers in China, we have suppliers in Europe, in the United States. And in China, it, would you believe it, several of those guys had indeed been told by their government um, to, to basically manufacture, uh, you know, to change their own technology. Some of the car manufacturers were told to start building PPE or indeed face masks immediately and uh, because they're so flexible out there they were able to actually uh, you know overnight manufacture hundreds of thousands if not millions of masks every day so this sort of reaction we looked at our own suppliers Uh, we've got a supplier we've got the the thermal access guys in China they're originally an x-ray manufacturer and now they've actually pivoted their own business they're making thermal access cameras so that people can be absolutely, not sure, but uh, confident that they can walk into a business, a school, or go back to work, have their temperature checked automatically without another human being present, and uh, have it recorded, and uh, and basically be able to almost be self-policing in that regard. And you're you're actually uh, retailing those through your company now. How's that going for you? John, it's, it's, it's phenomenal, the interest, and uh, yes, look, we imported, we took a position uh, a couple of months ago on thermal access camera technology in talking with our partners in China. Uh, we took a position, we imported them, and uh, pretty much they're, they're all gone. We're on our second round now at the moment. Um, we also, and again, just getting back to that technology thing, ultraviolet technology for disinfecting rooms. John, we didn't find that in China. I mean, I, look, they are in China. They're out there in they're in India, they're in Israel, they're in the United States. Where did we find that technology? In Ireland. One of our own partners that we supply, um, they pivoted their business and in partnership with a USA company has begun to manufacture ultraviolet room sanitizers. This is an absolutely amazing method for sterilizing a room. And be it an operating theater or a hospital room or indeed a bedroom in a hotel. And that's where we're getting into that confidence. Will Can I stay in that hotel? Yes, I'll stay there. Not only do they, do they deep clean their rooms, they, they, they UV sterilize them every night. And it only takes six, seven, eight, nine, ten minutes to sterilize a room using this technology. But John, we found that here in Ireland. Okay. Um, one, of our, one of our chemical suppliers is from Germany. What have they done? They've pivoted as well, and they're manufacturing hand sanitizing stations and the chemicals for this. Now, we're a technology company, so we've figured it out how much this is going to cost. And just quickly, how, how many, a hotel with yeah. 50 rooms, for example, and 100 staff, just quickly, finally, yeah. off the top of your head, how much hand sanitizer should they be getting over, uh, you know, a year? John, they'll be investing something between five and 7,000. Top of my head, John, I've got a spreadsheet. Anybody wants to contact me, 
very, very happy to uh, to provide the spreadsheet to them. But anything between five, six, and seven thousand euro. Wow! So that gives an indication of yes. the extra costs coming down the line. Peter, yes, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. That's Peter Henbury Great of job. Maxim Engineering, a uh, uh, man from Kilkenny, operating in China and around Europe, and uh, providing services across the whole response to COVID. And you can check out Maxim Engineering on the internet. That's all we've got time for this week. Thanks to all our guests, Jim Power, Fergus Doyle, Grace Fields, Magella Byrne, Brian O'Farrell, John Hurley and Peter Hennebury there. Thanks to producer Deirdre Drummy. From me, John Purcell, thank you for listening. We'll be back next Saturday just after nine o'clock. Have yourself a good weekend and a good week. Until then, take care. The Bottom Line on KCLR with John Purcell. Brought to you with thanks to O'Neill Foley Accountants, offering a broad range of business and advisory services to businesses large and small across the southeast.